Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's had a fantastic week. We're going to get ready to, to dive into this Palm Sunday. We're going to start off with prayer and then just see, see what Holy Spirit's got today. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that this is a day that you have ordained, you have designated, you have set aside for this moment, God. And I just thank you that as we celebrate this, this week that we call Holy Week, every week's a Holy Week, but this week in particular, the Holy Spirit, you just open our eyes to see what you want us to see let us experience the things you're asking for us to experience because it's life-changing. Let our eyes be set on the cross. Let our, our, our minds, God, be in tune to what you're wanting to do in our hearts. In your mighty name, amen and amen. I hope everybody's having a great day. Uh, last two weeks, two weeks, we've been having a, we've been in a series called Say What?, Week one, we talked about negative things. We talked about the things that are, are, are harmful coming out of our mouths because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Last week, we took it a step further and we talked about gossip, how destructive it is to the one who is gossiping, to the one who is receiving it, to the one who is also being talked about. We talked about some very practical ways to overcome that, to, to deal with that, to walk through gossip. Today, we're going to continue about our words and, uh, and wrap up this series this Palm Sunday. But before we dive into that fully, next week is Easter Sunday. Um, uh, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And it is an incredible moment. If you have not invited anybody to church, this here is a T-ball setup. Everybody is looking for a place to go for Easter Sunday because it's one of the only two weeks of the year that people are saved. So if you're looking for somebody, you have a neighbor, you have a friend, you've got a coworker that you've been wanting to invite, this week is going to be the easiest setup for you. Um, there's also some cards in the back, some invitation cards over by the coffee uh, pot that you can hand out to your uh, family and friends. All right? Well, if we're going to be diving into Palm Sunday, uh, I'm going to be very transparent with you guys. Topical messages that are seasonal are not my jam. I don't like being pigeonholed, okay? Uh, for instance, when I was a pastor in Florida, they made us wear suit and ties throughout the week, throughout the church service, and I hated it. I would always find a way because you're not going to tell me what to wear. Very rebellious. Finally, I got my way. And we were able to wear jeans to church on Sunday. That Sunday, I wore a suit and tie. Don't know why I'm that way. When it comes to things like, and maybe uh, uh, Bill can understand this, and so can Pastor Allen, Pastor Marsha, but uh, there are certain things like Christmas where you've got to do a Christmas message. There's Easter where you've got to do an Easter message. This is Thanksgiving or whatever it is. And it's not, for me, it's the hardest messages to come up with. It's hard because I feel like, number one, there's a lot of pressure on it because it's, we have a very limited amount of stories to dive out of. Palm Sunday is... Palm Sunday message. I can't pull out of Joshua chapter 2 for a Palm Sunday message. It's just not the case. So if anybody's been here a length of time or been a part of church for any time, you've heard every angle of a Palm Sunday or an Easter message you can possibly have. 
Secondly, for me, it's one of those things where I get lost personally in my research because I'm looking for the one thing, as if for thousands of years that there hasn't been researchers who have found and uncovered every aspect and angle of this thing, and I, in Millbrook, Alabama, am going to stumble upon the holy grail that no one has ever preached on. I know it's narcissistic, but that's what I do for hours and hours and hours. In fact, in times past, the last two messages that we spoke, uh, one message, uh, I think I had four post-it notes, is that what it was, um, that I wrote that day of. Uh, The next one, uh, the one on gossip, kind of just all the notes just came, four pages, they came in about an hour and a half. Uh, This one, on average, I probably spent about 25 hours of research, which for me is a lot for a one-week message. So, uh, we're going to be diving into Palm Sunday, and here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you don't turn off because you've heard the story before. I'm going to ask that you don't just click your brain off because you're, we're going through the motions. Uh, this Sunday, uh, yet today, um, I think it was like the second song, I'm having to play the piano of a song that I've played countless times, and I'm texting with the sound people at the exact same time on my phone, Okay. I just turned my brain off and just kept playing because I knew the songs like the back of my hand as I'm texting back and forth with, with, with Josh. I'm asking you not to do that. Don't be grabbing your phone and texting of, of, or, or searching for the restaurants. We're not going to be too terribly long. You're going to beat the Baptist. Um, and so you'll be able to get there to San Marcos before they do. Okay? And if everybody's ever been to San Marcos at noon, that's an amen. Um, so we're going to dive in. If you have your Bible, open up to, Luke, uh, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is where we start the Passover, where we start this story of the Palm Sunday for, for this week. Uh, but I need to give some backstory. Uh, about six months before this story took place, six months, six to nine months-ish, uh, Jesus was in this exact same place. He was at Bethany uh, to do something monumental, and that was to raise his friend from the dead. Lazarus had died. Everyone's mourning. Everyone's losing their minds. Jesus shows up, says, Lazarus, come forth. He comes hopping off the grave, and everybody marveled. Kind of feel like that's a big deal. And, and, and how many of you remember, you've watched Top Gun, like the old school Tom Cruise Top Gun. Remember that scene when they're walking out of the hangar, and it's, and it's Goose, and it's Maverick, and they go to high five, and he says, I've got the need. Do you remember how it finishes? The need for speed. Can I tell you, that was done in 1986. How many of you have met Tom Cruise? One. He, he hasn't changed your life. It's not been a monumental experience, but for some reason, a statement that was made, was that 35 years ago, we remember like the back of our hand. I, I feel, maybe it's just me, but if I was at a funeral service... And the guy wakes up from the dead, I feel, this is just me, it's going to stick to me. Six years, 60 years down the road, I'm going to be like, did that really happen? Did Papa, did, did they just shoot up out of, can, can you, are you with me? So even though it's been six to nine months since that time, they didn't have anything new on CNN. They were still talking about the dead man, Lazarus, who was constantly, now mind you, they didn't have a church on every corner. I mean, I'm saying you can be a part of the body of Christ and never meet certain Christians because we don't all go to the same place. You with me? At this season of life, he's in Bethany, two miles outside of Jerusalem. 
there is one temple. They worship at one place. Lazarus was there worshiping with everybody else. Then he dies. And everybody knows it. And then he's back. It's kind of a big deal. People are marveling at this story. The religious leaders at this moment sought out to kill Jesus. But it says it wasn't his time yet. So Jesus leaves. He goes up to Galilee, goes north for a while, goes up to Jericho, runs into Zacchaeus, crosses over the Jordan, and now he's on his way back down towards Bethany. About 17 miles outside of Bethany is where we get this story started. 17 miles, for those who understand, is about the distance between Millbrook from New Life to Target at East Chase. That's a long walk. Walking three to four miles an hour, Jesus was overzealous, so we'll give him four miles an hour. Um, that's what, four and a half hours, five hours to walk. At, at understanding that he's got five hours to turn around. Think about that. He knows what's before him. In fact, the cross is set before him, and he has five hours. This isn't one of those things where they grab him and throw him on the cross, and he has no time to think about it. He's got a five-hour walk knowing that they just tried to kill him, and they're going to try to kill him again. But this is where we get to the verse where he set his face like flint. I'm unmovable in what I'm about to walk into. Can I tell you, in the seasons of life that you're going to walk into, you got to understand that sometimes you've got to walk into uncomfortable seasons but have your mind set because the reward is greater than turning back. Setting your face. Jesus is at a 17-mile walk, walking towards Bethany. And as he's approaching Bethany, the Bible says that he approaches Bethany and Bethphage. Yeah, P-H-A-G-E. Bethphage. Bethphage is the house. Beth is house. Phage, figs. House of figs. Bethany has got two definitions. The house of sorrows or the house of the poor. Either way, it's not a good place. It wasn't because they named it after somebody's last name poor. But typically those slums, areas of Jerusalem, were named because that's exactly what they would. They were poor. Jesus is walking towards the house of the poor. And he walks into his friend's house, who he just raised from the dead about a year ago, Lazarus. In verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he has raised from the dead, there they made a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Verse 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance. Spikenard is a very specific oil, perfume. It's found in one place and one place only. You get it from the roots of a plant that grows in the Himalayas. Now, they didn't have Amazon. You couldn't just order that. So think of the trek from Jerusalem to the Himalayas, uh, the north side of India, where they were, 
where it typically grows, on its way down. This is very costly. In fact, it's so important to understand that even Solomon wrote about it, about his bride in Song of Solomon, that there was her fragrance that filled everyone. This is the oil that he's talking about. This is everything that's going on. And, and here's where I get really confused. A big part of my study was this part right here. If she lives in the poor house, stay with me, how does she have this perfume? To understand Mary, we back up a little bit in Luke chapter 8. This Mary was possessed with seven demons. Jesus cast them out. She gets radically saved. But like I would too. You cast seven demons out of me. It's a big deal. So she goes from this demon-possessed woman to now pouring out this before God. But here's where I get. I've always been taught and I've always understood it as it was a costly perfume. It was worth a year's wage. It was a big deal. Can I tell you, how many poor people do you know have a year's worth of income saved up? How many poor people do you know have $100 saved up? Think about this for a second. If you are in the poor house, you're typically there because you don't have a whole lot of resources. So why not sell this for money? Why not better your life? There's got to be somebody rich in Jerusalem. You're two miles outside of Jerusalem. Walking from here to Walmart's three miles. That's not a long walk. Why not just sell it? Well, there's two theories that are prevailing right now with scholars. Number one, they believe it could have been an inheritance. Maybe her, the mentioning of her parents is never listed. She's living with her brother Lazarus. There's not a whole lot going on here. So maybe they passed and gave it to them, but that bothers me because an inheritance is meant to help you set up for life. So why not sell an inheritance? The other prevailing thing is this, that it was her dowry. In ancient times, the wife's family would give the groom's family an important gift to receive his wife. So here's where we are. Let's just... Take a look at Mary for just a second. If this was a dowry that was to be given, what she's been doing is she's been holding on to this moment. She's been holding on to this precious oil. She's been grabbing on to it so that one day she can meet Mr. Wright and get herself out of the poorhouse and into his house. And we find this woman not giving up Something of value, but giving up her entire future. This woman didn't just give the best she had. She gave everything she had. What she was doing as she's sobbing and pouring out this oil before Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair is crying out to God going, I'm all in. This is everything I've got right here. I am marrying myself to the cause of Christ. I'm not just giving the biggest gift I can give. I'm not just emptying out a bank account. You've got to understand, this was it. 
Listen, you lose a job today. I just saw online that Walmart's hiring truck drivers for like 90 grand. 90 grand truck drivers. Where was that at career day? This was it. By doing this, she was giving it all up. The commitment level was astronomical. Judas goes, what are you doing? Uh, we could at least just sell this. We can get some stuff for the poor or something. It says that her fragrance filled the house. Think about that. When was the last time you gave everything up? When was the last time you went in all in for Christ and burned the ship so there was no way out? Because for me, a lot of times what happens on a Passover Sunday like this is I'll go, yeah, God, I'll give you my heart as long as I say a quick prayer, no one looks around, I repent of my sins, and then I go back to my own life, and then you bless me, and you prosper me, and you give me all these things. I'm all in as long as I have a way in case this doesn't work out. God, I'm all in as long as if it doesn't pan out, I can weasel my way back in. I'm all in, but I'm not giving this up. I'm all in as long as I don't have to end this friendship or as long as I don't have to not be famous or as long as I don't have to be talked about or whatever it is, I'm all in as long as I get to keep something. Notice, she didn't just, it would have been huge for her just to pour a little bit out. That would have been a big gift. She didn't give Jesus 25% of her best, which would have been a big gift. She didn't give him 50% of her best, which would have been a big gift. 75%, my God. I've been a part of church for a long time. I've seen some big offerings. And I remember one time I was up at a church service. It was a special offering. It wasn't tithes and offerings. It was just a special offering. In the, and for some of you guys, this may sound like a lot. Some of them have been, who's been to church may not be that much. But the offering totaled around $70,000. It was a big offering. Of which... The vast majority of it came from a single mom. Not a wealthy single mom. And I went, there's no way that's true. There must be too many zeros. So I called her. I'm like, hey, funny story. Think you made a mistake on your check. Don't think you meant to give this much money. No, I did. Okay. You meant like $4,000, not $40,000, right? No, it was supposed to be forty. And for years, like the pastoral staff, I'd sit there and go, did you really give forty? <laughs> and they'd be like, that was incredible. We would talk about her gift for years because it shook us that she gave it all, everything she had. Martha gave it all up. Jesus then looks at his disciples. In chapter 19 of, of Luke. And he tells his disciples to go. Go to the specific barn. And get a, go to this village opposite of you in verse 30 of chapter 19. And where you enter you'll find a colt. On which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're loosing it. Then you shall say to him. Because the Lord needs it. That sounds like right 
common sense, right? A colt or a donkey is meant for two purposes. It's meant to carry a burden or a load, and it's meant to carry a person. Uh, so that's 2020 this for a, 2022 this for a second here. Uh, I'm going to look at Matt and tell Matt to go over to, to, to Long Lewis Ford. Matt, I want you to go get an F-150 that has zero miles on it. When you get there, I want you to open the door, drop the wires out like they do in the movies, hotwire that sucker, and when they come out and say, what are you doing? Say, hey, 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 it's all good. God needs this. That's what they did. He looked at two disciples and said, go do this. As they are covered in the smell of what Mary just did. You got to wonder about that walk. Did that just happen? It smells nice though, huh? Yeah, I kind of like it. Did you really just pour everything out? Dude, how much do you think that was? I don't know, but Judas lost his mind. I know. Hey, um, do you think this is a prank? Like, we're going to walk up here, and we're going to see a donkey, and we're just going to take it. Like, this is what Jesus really said to do? But maybe this is like a really, really belated April Fool's joke. Or maybe he's just sending us out wandering around. As they walk up, they see this donkey, just like he said. Here's the problem. You see it. You see the thing that he's told you to get, but it's currently in somebody else's possession. And Jesus said, just take it. At that time, stealing a donkey is kind of a big deal. Bare minimum, he'd chop your hand off. The risk. Hey, hey, Thomas. Go do it. I'm not doing it. You do it. You go do it. Dude, he looked at you. I was making a sandwich. And he just said, two of you guys, I thought we were getting more food. I didn't know what I was signing up for. You go get it. What do I do? Man, just act confident. If you walk with confidence, everybody, yeah, just, just walk with just walk with confidence. Walk with confidence, absolutely. Walks up a little bit. Oh, God, the guy made eye contact. The guy made eye contact. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What am I? Dude, he's looking at me, looking at you. We're talking about something. He, I look sketchy. I look totally sketchy. Bro, I get it. You want me to go do it? Yeah, go do it. I'm not doing it. You go do it. Paper, rock, scissors. They walk up, smelling like a woman. Oh, uh, what are you doing? See, what happened was, Jesus was over there. I smelled like a girl. A lady poured perfume out. He said, come get this donkey. And he said, the Lord needs it. And the guy goes, all right. Let's start walking. Two things. They just got covered in perfume. Now they're walking with a donkey. 
Think about that conversation for a little bit. Did that just happen, dude? What's happening today? What's going on? We've now got a, a random donkey. You know what? When Jesus was here with Lazarus, I wonder if he healed his kid, and it's like the Jesus mafia. Like, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. And like, he has a code word. Like, if I ever come to you and say, it's for the Lord's work, just walk away. Probably. Sounds good. They walk up. Now they've got a donkey smelling like a woman going, this day can't get any weirder. Hey, Thomas, you got a saddle? I don't have a saddle. Where, where am I going to keep a saddle? I don't know. What is he supposed to do? Mind you, the disciples had one thing and one thing only. Their clothes. And now they're having an opportunity not to give an extravagant gift like the, the, the oil. Not to give a practical gift like a donkey. But they could give an embarrassing gift, their clothes. It says they took off their clothes and put it on the donkey so that the Lord could ride in on it. Kind of reminds me of a story of David. When they bring in the presence of God and he takes off his kingly robe and dances before the Lord to an embarrassment of his wife. These disciples take off their outer garments so that the same presence of God can ride back into Jerusalem yet again. The people, seeing Jesus, lose their mind. Uh, I think it was Josephus said around this time there should have been about two million Jews in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, on average, they would have 256,000 animal sacrifices, of which should be about 10 people per sacrifice. Over 2 million people. This is uh, North and South Dakota's populations combined. All of West Virginia and some. Think about that. All in this place. Jesus is coming in. They cut down palm fronds. They begin to wave. And what are they saying? All the things that he has done. He raised Lazarus. This is the guy who's healed the blind. This is the guy who's done crazy things. He's walked on water. Hosanna. He's here. They're giving him glory. They're giving him honor. They're giving him all the praise. They're saying all the right things. What are you saying who he is? What are you saying who he is? Can I tell you something? It's a lot easier to say, yeah, I believe in God. It's a lot harder to give up everything for him. They're using their words. They're saying the right things because they have this idea that he's going to ride in and overthrow the Roman government and get rid of all their oppressors. But can I tell you something that's very controversial? And that is this, is that God is a lot more concerned with the oppression in your heart than the oppression on your body. He's not as concerned about who's in a White House. He's not that concerned who's in Congress. He's not that concerned who's in the Senate or who's in the, uh, anywhere in government because he's more concerned about who's sitting at the throne of your heart. He's more concerned about what are you going to do. And the entire time he's writing, hearing them scream and hearing them shout, knowing that their anticipation was that we're going to get him whole, so hyped up, he's going to do something big. And you know what he did? Nothing. He 
cursed a fig tree. He teaches for a day. Turns around. The fig tree's dead. Peter marvels. Think about that. In five short days, the crowd goes from singing his praises to demanding his head. Why? Because he didn't perform like they wanted him to. How many times in my life have I been all hyped up on faith and ready for God to do a miracle and do his thing and I prayed and I fasted and I sang and I danced and I ran and I shout and I gave and I did all the things that I was supposed to do expecting this miracle in the next 48 hours and it didn't happen. It's all a bunch of garbage. Doesn't work. I gave once. Nothing happened. And this is where we find ourselves this Palm Sunday. Is the Palm Sunday past and the Palm Sunday present are identical. People are still singing his praises with an expectation. And the moment he doesn't meet their expectation the way they want it to, they begin to sing his curses. You've got Martha and Mary giving everything they've got. You've got disciples taking off their outer garments to have him ride in. As he's riding through town, smelling like a king, looking like he's doing everything that's supposed to do. All their senses are heightened. He's riding in. Everybody else is hyped. I smell the, 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 uh, the oil. Everybody's like, this has got to be it. This is what we've been looking for. And can I tell you, it was that what they were looking for was in a different package. They were looking for salvation of their flesh and never thought that there was ever going to be a salvation of their hearts. Why? Because they weren't bad people. We were chosen. We're God's people. We ain't got to worry about this. Of course I'm saved. I go to church. Of course I'm saved. My grandma was on the board. My mom worked in the office. My dad would preach as a traveling minister. Yeah, I believe in God. What of it? And what you're seeing is people are living a life because they've convinced themselves that they're okay with God. And the entire time, he is breaking on the inside going, they don't get it. They don't get it. Here's the biggest irony of it all. They're singing his praises That he is the coming Messiah. He's the son of God. He's everything they've been looking for. And as he's writing, does he rebuke them? No. Why? He needed them to say what they said. Because the same blessings that they were giving him was the ammunition that the leaders used to crucify him. He claims to be the son of God. Everybody's riled up about it. We've got to kill this guy. I've asked myself this question this Palm Sunday. What are the words that I'm calling him? Two big things. Have I given him everything I am? Have I given him partial of who I am? Have I given him just a little bit? Have I given him a lot of it? Maybe I've given him more than Nathan has, but is it my everything? 
Second question is, do I only sing his praises when I have expectation that he does what I want him to do? Or do I sing his praises when he goes to a rugged cross and is not defeating who I think he should defeat? Do I have faith that even when I don't understand what's going on, even when I don't look and see what I want it to be like, even when I have a mental picture of what's going on, and it doesn't look that way, am I still going to sing his praises? I told this story before, but I met with a man a few years back who was very distraught because he gave a significant offering and he had faith. He said God spoke to him and told him to give this offering. This wasn't hype. This wasn't something that was just spurred on. He knows without a shadow of a doubt that God told him to give this offering. It was a big offering. And he gave it. Big offering. God told him, if you give this, you will be blessed. Can I tell you? That's a good thing to have. So he gave it. And you know what happened? Nothing. Not one thing took place. Fast forward 18 months, and he's sitting in my office angry because he was told by God that he would do this, and nothing happened. So we talked. I told him I was sorry that he was disappointed. All the things that I'm supposed to say. I understand you've been deflated. I get it. So as we're sitting there talking, and I said, well, tell me about your business. I mean, how's it going? Because actually, it's going pretty good right now. Um, he's like, you know, I had this idea. He does um, investments. He goes, I had this idea to kind of get this way into uh, a, a pilot's union up north. And he did it. It was, a, it was a workaround, and it looks like it's going to happen, and we're about to get just lamb-blasted with business. And it hit me. And I said, buddy, when did you get that idea? About 18 months ago. And you could see the aha moment. See, he was expecting a check in the mail, but God was giving him residual income for generations. He wanted a quick fix of something, but God wanted to give him a blessing for his kids' kids. And he's sitting in my office, angry, and for 18 months has been cursing at God because God didn't do it the way he thought he should do it. But God did it and what he really needed. And when the economy tanked, he still had that contract. And he was blessed in a season of famine. What are you doing? And what are you calling him today? Here's the problem. A lot of us call God our Jesus our Savior. He's the one who saved us from hell. That's a beautiful title. He saved our souls. He saved our hearts. He saved our everything. That's great. The problem is, is he your Lord? A Savior means somebody who's going to get me out of bad times. But what happens when there is no bad times? Do you not need him anymore? When you're blessed, do you not need him anymore? When you're not sick and you're not desperate for a miracle, are you calling him out? Because a Lord is somebody who is your leader for every second of every day, 365 days, in the good times and the bad times, when you're in the hospital bed and when you're ruling at life, when you're the boss and when you're the employee, when you're he, he's got it all. 
And what's happening is that they're singing praises of what he has done and what he will be doing, what they think he should be doing, and how he should be doing it. And he's sitting silent going, it's not what's going to happen. And he's letting them talk because he knew he needed to die. This week we celebrate his life. We celebrate his death. And while no, I'm not going to ask what things you're carrying to the cross and we're not going to make that pivot, I'm going to ask you this question is this. Is he your Lord today? What are you calling him this Palm Sunday? What words do you use to describe him? Is he a seasonal God? Do you only worship him, sing about him, cry out to him, pray him, pray to him when you just need him in the really, really, really bad times? Have I given him my all? That's what a Lord is. You are my everything. Have I poured it all out? Do I have options to bail? Do I have options to run away? Do I have options to do something else? If this Christian thing doesn't work, I can still do this other thing. No. Have you given it your all? Are you all in like Mary? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Amen, amen, amen. Oh, the crowd turned. Kill him, kill him, kill him. Are you just a fair weather fan? It's funny because we've watched college sports and for the past, what, decade-ish? You know, like him or not, Nick Saban is kind of in the headlines. And we've watched his fan base grow tremendously. Because he wins. But unfortunately for Alabama fans, there will be a day where he's not coaching. And they can try to prop him up all they want, but it's not going to work. And more likely than not, there's going to be a season where they're getting their brains beat in. It's a cycle. And you're going to watch people leave. Switch teams. Somebody else who's winning. And this is what happens. This week... 2,000 years ago, and what's happening this week, very day, is people are picking their fans, picking what team that they're on, based on the popular opinion at that moment. But if he's your Lord, he's your everything. So here we go. With every head bowed. Don't need anybody looking around right now. If you're in this place and you say, Pete, I have not committed my life to Christ. And this Palm Sunday, I'm ready to dive all in. I'm ready to go all in, even if that means I've got to lose relationships, if that means I've got to change jobs, if I've got to give up something, if I've got to do work hard, whatever it means, uh, being uncomfortable, my past, my, whatever it is, God, I'm all in. Whatever you ask, whatever you need, I'm all in. And you've never made that commitment. You've never truly been all in. You've been on the sidelines You've walked from a distance. You believe, but you've never been all in. If that's you, just real quick, and you want to be all in, just raise your hand and put it right back down. Yep, there they are. I knew it. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, a few people. Anybody else? Awesome. Amen. This commitment's between you and him today. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to embarrass you because this is going to be between you and him. 
But Father God, today, I, th- I know that you saw the hands that were raised. Maybe they were online too. But God, I just ask right now that you put a fire inside of them for your presence. A hunger for your, and passion for who you are. That God, that you've become their Lord 24 hours a day. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Easter. Not just when they need something. But God, that they commit their lives, their everything to you this very day, God. We worship you. God, this, this week as we, 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 we focus on the last week that you were walking with us through the crucifixion and the, and, and the trials and the miracles, God, I just ask that, that we take this week and every day, God, we were reminded of who you are and we use our words, God, the words that are coming out of our mouth to sing praises to you in all seasons of life. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.